what would be one thing that most human beings agree with each other about human life? That would be importance of our mothers. Regardless of religious tradition, social economic status, political affiliation, and gender identity, most people, rich and poor, men and women, young and old, learned and ignorant, all recognize the indispensability of a mother's for a healthy and happy life. Mother and life are inseparable. As everyone sees the priceless value of a mother's, Salary.com actually calculated it. In 2021, Salary.com estimated the median annual salary of a stay-at-home mom to be $184,820. Tracking the real-time uh, market prices of all the jobs that the moms perform. Among these jobs, analysts identified roles like a chief financial officer, logistic analyst, faci uh, facility managers, nutrition director, educational consultant, event planner, and a driver. Now I believe the greatest value of a mother's is actually spiritual. Just there is no great family without good mother, there is no growing healthy church and society without godly, faithful mothers. Proverbs 6.20 says about the role of a mother in this way. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. According to Book of Proverbs, fathers are commanders and stand for authority. Mothers are teachers and stand for wisdom. In other words, mothers mean, motherhood means discipleship. Not just any discipleship, but most foundational and effective discipleship for character formation and value installation. Case in point was Susanna Wesley, known as one of the most spiritual mothers who shaped Christian history. Today I want to share inspiration from Susanna Wesley's life as an illustration of a biblical truth. Her story will be inclusive, or book ends of our study. So let me talk about her life first, and study our text, and then back to her story in the conclusion. So that's our you know, uh, sermon plan today. Susanna Wesley was born as the last of 25 children in the family of Presbyterian minister in England in 1669, about 350 years ago. Her father, Dr. Samuel Annesley, was a man of God with education from Oxford and also integrity and conviction. For instance, one time he was invited to preach at the English parliamentary, and his text was Job 27.5, which says, God forbid it that I declare you to be right. I don't think he was invited again to preach there. But that tells you what kind of man he was. And Susanna was a daddy's girl in terms of her moral strength and the spiritual aspiration. She married her father's former student, Samuel Wesley. They had 19 children, and nine of them survived. Their marriage was a roller coaster of ups and downs. 
It was mostly down because Samuel Wesley was a frustrated academic and an inept pastor. For instance, he invested a lot of money, actually a lot of money that they don't have, to publish his massive commentary on the book of Job in Latin. He owed huge debt, ended up in jail twice for financial mismanagement and bankruptcy. Also, Susanna and Samuel had a different political views that made them separated for a year. Actually, he left the family. There are so many colorful, juicy stories about the Wesleys, including the poltergeist account of old Jeffrey, but let me just focus on motherly dedication of Susanna Wesley today. One time, when Samuel Wesley once again abandoned his family for pursuit of promoting his poetry publication, Susanna wrote to her absent husband a letter. Let me quote the letter. I'm a woman, but I'm also mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of souls contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed, committed to me under a trust. I'm not a man nor a minister. By the way, under her husband's absence, she managed uh, his parish church, and uh, so she selected some hymns, and then she read some selected sermons, but somehow it was so good that uh, after a few months, there was no standing room in the church. So we know who is a really you know, effective leader. Yet as a mother and mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin my own children, in which I observed the following method. The key word is a method. You know, so keep eyes on the word method. I take a such proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hattie. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Jackie is a nickname of John Wesley. Friday with Patty, and Saturday with Charles. Susanna Wesley was born in the time when women were confined to domestic realms only. Also, the first half of 18th century England was one of the most corrupted times in its history. It was the age of gin where a whole country was drunken, gambling, unwanted children were thrown at, the, at their birth in the street, let alone slavery, along with the indentured servitude, was a booming more than ever. In this very depressing, challenging time, Susanna Wesley left an incredible and undeniable legacy through her two sons, John and Charles Wesley. So about their impact, there is a book, book called England and Before and After Wesley, Subtitle is Evangelical Revival and Social Reform. And the author claims two most influential figures in the modern history were John Wesley and Karl Marx. So do you see the magnitude of this statement? And that was true. Because John Wesley preached to more than a million people in person, and Charles Wesley composed more than 6,500 hymns. As a result, there is a great 
spiritual revival, movement, revival happened, and as a result of that, 1807, England abolished slavery without shedding a single blood, purely by spiritual power. And that later inspired American you know, uh, abolition of slavery. And we had to go through the bloody civil war. Susanna Wesley did not write a book, nor preached her own sermons, didn't travel much, but she was a spiritually dedicated mother. She raised her children through homeschooling, and she had a so-called 16 rules. I actually highly recommend for all parents to check it out. You know, you can, and uh, actually, it is the 16 rules or method that she, she followed. The main key idea is that you have to subdue the self-will of a child without killing his or her spirit. So that was uh, one of the main things. At the end, Susanna Wesley was known as a mother of a Methodism. You know, John Wesley and his friends were called the Methodists. Where do you think they got the nickname? It was a Susanna Wesley, Wesley who was, who was a pursuing spiritual life through certain method. And you will hear about that later. John Wesley later said he learned more about Christianity from his mother than all theologians in Oxford and England. He bought a cemetery plot for his family and his friends next to his small church, and he faced his death toward his mother's grave. Legacy of a godly mother is more than excellent. It is eternal, and it has many spiritual offsprings. So it is my prayer that everyone in forest in our house church ministry becomes a faithful and fruitful like a Susanna Wesley. With that, let's read our text today, which is Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. This is only five, verse, uh, uh, five verses, so let's read together on three, one, two, three. As a Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened a home to them. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Flower fall, grass withers, but the word of God lasts forever. Today's story is not just about hospitality, but much more about ministry, especially ministry of a motherhood. In this story, we find the three truths about motherhood and motherly care for the people. Speaking about motherly care for the people, Apostle Paul said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 said this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. But because we loved you so much, and we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our life as well. All caring Christians have a motherly love and commitment to others. Once again, it is my prayer on this Mother's Day we all become spiritual mothers to our children and our BIPs. Now, we're going to learn the three truths about the holy task of a happy mothers today. And the first truth is this. Motherhood means mess. Motherhood means mess. For that, let's look at the context of today's story. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem today for the last time. To get there, they had to go through the village of Bethany, about two miles east of Jerusalem. When Martha hears that disciples and Jesus had hit the town, she insisted that they come to her home for dinner. She wants to show them through her hospitality how much she loves them. It is always a bit of a, 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 a treat, uh, I mean threat, I think, for a woman to have a preacher in her home for dinner. So to have a 13 of them sitting in the living room is like an Olympic challenge. You know, I'm still in awe of what skilled cooks are able to do. You know, a good cook can take a cold food from the refrigerator at one time, put a hot food on the stove at another time, and make it all come out at the same time. And everyone has a good time. You know, from where I sit out there in the living room, the whole thing seems like a little miracle to me. But as Martha was trying to pull off this miracle, it wasn't going well today. Stove was giving off more smoke than heat, and bread refused to rise, and pretty soon the whole thing smelled more like a burnt offering than dinner. Finally, she looked around for her sisters to help, and she glanced into the living room, and there was a Mary, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. That exacerbated Martha's frustration. Irritated, Martha came back into the kitchen, and she was as burned up as a dinner. And then volcano inside just exploded. Serving others is not always stellar, but very often a struggle. And I confess that I have a secret sympathy with Martha. Putting bluntly, Martha is my kind of person. She is a realist, and she is a doer. She approaches life as it is, and she not only sees, but also acts. And I believe the world needs more doers than talkers. You know, you cannot give Martha low marks for doing service today. We must note that Jesus is not faulting her for serving. In a previous story in Luke chapter 10, before this story, was a parable of a good Samaritan. The basic lesson of that parable is that your neighbor is anyone who has a need, whose need you see, uh, and then you are in position to meet. In this story, Martha is a good neighbor. She recognizes Jesus and his men have been on the road quite some time, and they are hungry. And she has a gift of hospitality, and she wants to meet their needs. Martha was in myth, in mess today because she tried to meet the needs of others first of all. Had Martha not opened her house, she would not have 
had this mass today. So Martha should not be faulted for service. Therefore, let us not make fun of her. Let's not say, well, she should her own food, and nobody is to blame but yourself. Martha is a door, and we owe huge debt to doors, especially at home, at our churches, and every house church. I actually thank God every week for all the Marthas in the forest. And people like Martha have good intentions and the big hearts for others. That's not something to be ashamed of. However, doers like Martha have one weakness. That is, they often bite more than they can chew. Good intentions easily open up to grand imagination, sometimes unnecessary grand imagination. I have been in Martha's mess myself. I constantly run into the problem of uh, over-promising. So let me share my, uh, my confession here. Last Christmas, I volunteered to provide a Christmas Sunday banquet for church because I felt bad about not being able to invite many forest people to my second daughter's wedding. So in the name of uh, Laurel and Brian's wedding, I wanted to treat our church family. So I saved and budgeted about $1,000 for about 140-ish people because we used to pay about $600-$700 to H-Mart Catering for some special church luncheon. And a couple of weeks before Christmas, I found out that H-Mart stopped catering and sold only lunchboxes, which would cost more than double, and if they provide everything I wanted, it'll be more than triple. Then I get a grand imagination. Why don't we prepare the food by ourselves? Because I have seven grown-ups in my family. That's a free labor. So we outsourced the two dishes, the chan and chapche, to catering service. And then we cooked the two bulgogi meats and they prepped some fruit for dessert. And I also insist, insisted on frying 450 small dumplings on our uh, home fryer. On the Christmas Sunday morning, Jamie was in semi-panic. Everyone was uh, sweating. I was wearing nervous smile while frying 450 dumplings for two hours. During the whole time, I was praying to God, repenting, Lord, help me to get through this day. I'll never overpromise it again. So I understand what Martha's go through. Out of their good heart, they overpromise, overcommit. Serving is often a struggle and messy. And you cannot be mother without serving. So being a mother means also struggle and messy. And one time I read a story about uh, uh, Franklin Graham, son of a Billy Graham, who runs a Samaritan Purse International Relief Organization in his book, Rebel with a Cause, Rebel with a Cause. That he could be a real handful as a boy. Do we have a picture of him? Oh, yes. That's the Ruth Graham far, and then, you know, that the guy, the, the, the boy far left with a smirk on his face? That's a Franklin. Now, one time, uh, he was pastoring his sisters on a trip to eat at the Asheville Drive-In, and uh, 
he was out of range of his mother's quick backhand. Even her shoe tree, which she sometimes used to extend her reach. Ruth Graham threatened to lock her son in the trunk if he didn't stop. And a threat that didn't deter him at all. So, exasperated, Ruth Graham, the wife of famous Billy Graham, pulled over, locked her son in the trunk, checking first to make sure he could breathe. Franklin Graham thought he would be free when they got to the restaurant, but she kept him in the trunk, even after food arrived. So can you imagine how Ruth Graham felt during the dinner? Later, when Ruth Graham opened the trunk with a remorse, there was a son smiling with a peace sign. <laughs> you know, behind every great, every great child is a mother who feels that she is screwing up. Serving others is open struggle. Motherhood means frequent mess. So mothers, let me tell you, don't apologize for it, but rather learn from it. Now, what do we learn? Second truth about the holy task of a happy mothers today is this. The service, the spirit of a service must match service. Service must be matched with the spirit of a service. Good service with a bad spirit is a bad service. Problem of a Martha that Jesus pointed out was not the service, but the spirit of a service. Good service with a bad spirit is not good service anymore, but actually bad service. So why did a Martha's good intentions of a helpful service become a bad service? Look at the verse 40. Martha was distracted by all the preparation that has to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. The Greek word for distraction is a compound word of a peri and spau. Peri means edge, spau means a draw. Simply means it's a, it's a drifted, uh, drifted from center to the edge or a main focus to the margin. Martha's original main focus was Jesus, but when she was distracted, her main focus was changed from Jesus to herself. Do you notice that Martha's speech today? was about me, 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 me. You know, three times she mentioned, don't you care about my sister left me to do the work by myself and tell her to help me? It's a me, me, me talk. When Martha was encumbered by serving and became distracted, in a way she betrayed herself, hurting the very one that she wanted to honor and help. So what's the problem with Martha? You know, if Martha has gone to her friendly psychologist and taken a battery of a test, she probably would have identified, I mean, she'd be probably identified as type A personality, kind of obsessive-compulsive. And obsessive-compulsive person's life verse is this. If a thing worth doing is worth doing well. Martha bought into that. Not only does she intend to prepare a lavish menu, but she's going to do it in a sterile environment. She cleans the house as though there is going to be operation in the living room. And if you ask her why she went to all the trouble, she would say, well, if a thing worth doing, 
It's worth doing well. But Jesus responds to Martha and says, Martha, look, you are worried and upset about too many things. One dish would have been enough. That's all you, all you really had to prepare. Some of us need to underline the lesson that Jesus offers here. If a thing is worth doing, it may be worth doing simply. Certainly, it is good to show hospitality. If you are driven by hospitality to superhuman feet and your spirit is hurt, you need to know that soup and sandwich will, will do the job. Hospitality is worth doing it. It may be worth doing it simply. If you, you, if you meet your neighbor on Jericho Road, I'm talking about parable of a Samaritan, it's certainly worth stopping to lend a hand. But that doesn't mean that you have to start the Jericho Road Missionary Society. Good service should be done with a good spirit. The trick is to know when you are too busy. One indicator is that what you do, if what you do drives you to distraction, if you become upset, anxious, and irritable, and hard to get along with, you may need to simplify things. We can tarnish our service by the way we do it. Good service, done with the best spirit, doesn't do anybody any good. Martha's distraction and irritation spoil the party for everybody, not only Jesus, but also her own sister Mary. So can you imagine how Mary felt when Martha lashed out today? Martha didn't tiptoe to the door and whispered, Hey, Mary, can you come here and help me? Instead, Martha made a grandstand play. She moved into the living room, did not even speak to Mary. She went, to, went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to get the meal all by myself? Tell the selfish bread to come and help me. You know, can you imagine how much Mary must have felt embarrassed. It could have scarred a sensitive girl like Mary for a long time had Jesus not intervened. Mary's lack of a good spirit for her good service created a misery that nobody wants to take apart. Martha, the original party host, became unintentional party pooper today. Once again, let us remember Jesus' wisdom. When we choose few, we can choose the best. But when we try to do many, we can miss the best. So what's the best choice here? How did Jesus save Martha and Mary from public embarrassment and disgrace? That's the third and final truth about holy task of a happy mothers. That is, mothers need to be served by Christ first. Mothers need to be served by Christ first. The most important lesson in our story today is that before we host Jesus, we must remember Jesus is the ultimate host who serves us first. Everything starts from Jesus serving us first. Every love starts from Jesus loving us first. Where do you see that in this story? Verse 39 points out radical hospitality of Jesus. Look at the verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat 
at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. What he has, what he said. This little phrase, "at the Lord's feet," Lord's feet, was a well-known expression in rabbinic tradition and training. "At the Lord's feet." mean more than a location and space. It actually signif signifies one's honor and privilege as a future rabbi in rabbinic training. For instance, when Apostle Paul gave his testimony as a former Pharisee and the rabbinic students in Acts chapter 22-3, this is what he said. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia and brought up in this city, educated where? At the feet of Gamaliel. So at the feet of Gamaliel means the school of Gamaliel. So at the feet of the Lord means school of Jesus. Today, that's what Jesus allowed Mary to experience. Jesus invited Mary to be a part of a rabbinic training and his teaching. And that's very rare. If you still don't get the radical inclusiveness and equality of Jesus that offered to men and women, you need to watch one of my favorite movies called Yentil. Do we have that? Yeah, Yentil. That was, how many of you have seen that movie? Okay, all right. There's no shame. This is a great movie. You know, Barbara Streisand received the Oscar, you know, for, the, for her performance. Yentil was a story about a Jewish girl who wanted to become a rabbi when it was forbidden for a woman to study Talmud. The subtitle of the poster you don't see there is in a time when a world of study belonged to men. There was a girl named Yentl who dared to ask why. The world of Yentl was a Poland in 1904. 1904. Just so you know, last century, woman couldn't, Jewish woman couldn't study Talmud. Can you believe it? Today, yes, woman can be a rabbi or even pastors. So almost 2,000 years ago, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus studying with his male disciples, do you see how radical that is? Some New Testament scholars say that Martha's actually assumed that behavior of Mary was wrong, and Mary was out of her place. Her proper place was a kitchen, not the feet of Jesus. That's why she asked Jesus to dispatch her sister back to the proper social role. But Jesus told us clearly today, Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. This is incredible. Jesus is defending Mary's right to learn God's truth. Jesus refused to dismiss Mary, but insisted she needs to be served and blessed by Jesus through his ministry of her words. Amen. So before we serve others, remember, we need to be served by Jesus. You know, previous story of a good Samaritan was introduced uh, by a conflict between Jesus and a Jewish you know, a lawyer. This Jewish lawyer guy knew the Bible very well. He could easily quote the great verses, that is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In the story, two of the chief actors were priest and Levite. Before they left home in the morning, they also could quote these two great verses easily. Yet the verses clearly had no impact on what happened that day on the Jericho Road. Knowing the Bible is important 
But that's not what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. To hear his word is to allow Jesus to minister to you. Allow him to do something in you before you do something for him. That is the meaning of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let me repeat that. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means allow Jesus to do something in you, in your heart, before you do something for Jesus. Jesus said, Mary chose better because ministry to our spirit must precede ministry to others. The first command is to love God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind. And second is a, we shall love our neighbor as yourself. And we have to remember those commands are always in that order. It's not the other way around. If we get them turned around, it will destroy us. You know why? Because we will be burned out. Only neighbor love growing out of love for Jesus Christ has sustained power. Only when we are blessed by Christ, we can serve others. So, before we become involved in service for others, we must allow Jesus to serve us. And this is why, for us, we emphasize Good Shepherd College. We are serious about learning. You know, we are serious about everyone is taking classes and learning. Because without feeding ourselves with a, with a real incredible truth of God, there is no way we can build up the true community like a house church ministry. Believe it or not, that's what Jesus wants from us. You know, Jesus didn't bring us to himself to make us a slave, but he brought us himself to make us his friend. Jesus came today in the Mary and Martha's house to have that kind of fellowship. More than just having a dinner or having them served in dinner. Serving one's spiritual need with the grace of Jesus requires, now, a spiritual discipline and focus. And that's the key uh, lesson of today's story. So one New Testament scholar said this. The message is the importance of a discipline of a living priority. Earthly concerns like a hospitality should not be ignored, but coming to know divine realities must always be the top concern. Inheriting eternal life begins with imbibing eternal truth. So we must remember that Jesus is our ultimate host. And before we host others, we must remember Jesus is a host and I'm a guest. Now, let me conclude the sermon with a final story about Susanna Wesley. Susanna is a famous for practical and persistent prayer called apron over the head prayer. You know what that is? Whenever in the midst of a busy daily life and she felt the need to talk God, but she couldn't get a quiet time anyway, she simply find a, a chair or somewhere in the house and she pulled her apron up over her head. That's the signal her children quickly learned that mom is praying. Mom is praying. Right then and there, in privacy of her apron covering, 
Susanna Wesley would talk to God, seeking his wisdom and direction. I think all women of a deep faith must have their own version of apron over the head prayer. And through that, we must learn one thing. I said this before, but it's so important to remember. Parenting, biblical parenting, is always co-parenting with God. Biblical parenting is a co-parenting with God. We love our children with Jesus, not by ourselves. If you love children all by yourselves, you're in big trouble. You will either burn out or you will create a monster or you will become a monster. You will demand something they cannot bear. Children belong to God, not to us. And we are there as a God's co-parent or assistant to raise our children in God's way. And then the more we are served by Christ, the more we can serve our children and others. So brothers and sisters, on this Mother's Day, let me tell you, the way we serve others is not just serving with a determination or tenacity or, you know, grand you know, imagination like a Mar Martha. No. We serve with the joy. We serve with the gratitude. We overflow. We don't overwork. We overflow. Spiritual life, we overflow. Are you overflowing? Are you really, really, you know, excited about serving God? That's how we serve God. Anytime there is a, any kind of, you know, indication in my heart that uh, I'm tired, I whatever, yes, time for me to stop and the time to cover myself with a prayer, whatever prayer is. Because our God loved me, not out of necessity, but out of joy and grace. He deserves not just any serving, but joyful serving from me and you. Let's pray.